0: the house good to be with you in the house <clears throat> excuse me I just finished that Marlboro and <laughs> wow <clears throat> it was a light that's okay don't worry about it anyway no seriously it is, it is great to be back with you this weekend I want to take just a minute and welcome into our service Lake Hills Church downtown meeting in Brazos Hall that's a cool deal And of course, those who are watching online. I don't know if you know this. If you ever have to be out of town or away from us on the weekend, you can live stream our services from our website. Just go to LHC.org during the time of the service, and boop, there we are. So you can sing if you're at a Starbucks, you know, kind of entertain the folks there, and that'd be great. So anyway, uh, it is great, great to be back with you this weekend. I want to say a special word of thanks to our very own Bill Jones for the sermon he preached last week. He did a great job. Taking us through the pitfalls of our man Joseph. I'm curious, I wanted to start today by asking you a question. I want to see a show of hands. How many of you, when you were probably in high school, were at least assigned to read the book, A Tale of Two Cities? Can I just see a show of hands? If that was assigned to you, how many of you actually read it? Nobody. That's what I thought. Now, I don't remember A Tale of Two Cities. Can I tell you something? You know what I did in the first service? Confession time for the pastor. You know, I, did, I, talked, I said that the book was Great Expectations and not A Tale of Two Cities. Here's the worst part about that. Not that I'm dumb, but that my mother, who was an English teacher, was here in the first service. I'm expecting to have a certified letter tomorrow that says I've been disowned. But anyway, I remember nothing, nothing from the book A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens That's the right one. You can Google it, except the opening lines of the book, A Tale of Two Cities. Remember, it was the best of times. It was the See, you all remember this as well. We'll have a little uh, book report test later on. But I remember those lines so well, especially last weekend when we were out of town. Julie and I were depositing our daughter in her dorm room, her first year at college. Okay, all together. Oh, how many of y'all have done that before? Can I just see a show of hands? You know, that is a gut-wrenching experience. That is the worst. It's the best of times and the worst of times. It, it's It was the best of times because Emily's ready. It, it was time for her to go. It was time for her to go to college and begin to spread her wings a little bit and figure out more of who she is and what God wants to do with her life. And so Julie and I, my wife of 22 years, we're, we're celebrating that moment, but as parents, the, the only way I can describe it, as, as a dad, it, it feels like your guts are being pulled out through your nose. I mean, it is just a horrific experience. It's just terrible. It's a horrible, no good, very bad day as a dad. Now, I say that it was the best of times and the worst of times to tell you this. Amidst all of this emotional gumbo that we kind of had brewing last weekend in South Carolina, Julie and I discovered an amazing blessing amidst all of something that we weren't really looking for, but something that showed up in a massive, massive way. It just so happens that we got to Charleston where Emily's going to college we arrived on the exact day of our 22nd wedding anniversary. How's that for full circle? So we're dropping our daughter at college 22 years to the day after I was standing in front of the church. Just, I mean, completely clueless. How many other grooms were completely clueless? Can I see a show? Thank you very much for your honesty. All you other men who didn't raise your hand, you just lied in church. That's terrible. That's terrible. But so, Julie and I are there, and, and you know, I, got, I was getting text messages from friends of mine going, Mac, it's okay to cry, but you can still be a real man and show your emotions, all this kind of stuff. I was like, mm, I'm so glad, I know, it is terrible. But here was the blessing. Even as Julie and I were, were really truly kind of grieving this, this period, this chapter of Emily's life, our family's life kind of closing, we were grieving, there was this incredible blessing that we were getting to do it together. That, that after 22 years of wedded bliss, 22 years of fights and disagreements, 22 years of for better or worse, 22 years of husband and wife, mom and dad. We were going through this, this emotional swamp together. And that was really, really cool. That that was just something in... And When I started to kind of think about this, and I actually began praying about it, I flashed back to two critical moments in our marriage. One very early in our marriage where Julie and I were not necessarily in a fight, but we were on way different pages as husband and wife. And I remember Julie standing in the kitchen of our apartment. Emily had just been born, and Julie just kind of looking at me, and she going, you know what, I'm not going to live like this the rest of my life. We've got a long run ahead of us, and I'm not going to settle for where we are right now. I was kind of like, whoa, what happened to my sweet little Southern Belle? I mean, you know, I thought, you know, and she was dead right. And then I remembered another time a few years later, we had moved to Austin, and Emily and Joseph were kind of in the toddler years. And Julie and I, again, we weren't really in a fight, but we weren't on the same page. And I said to her, you know what? I'm not going to settle for where we are right now. I'm not going to just settle in and accept relational, marital mediocrity. You and I, with God's help, we can do better. And I thought about those two moments as we deposited our daughter in her dorm room. And I realized that there were those moments and a couple of other really defining moments that helped set the trajectory of our marriage and our family so that we could enjoy this moment together. So that we could experience that blessing. It was those moments that we crashed through those quitting points that God had deposited into our lives. Some very real staying power. Staying power. And I noticed something in our life. I noticed something about other people's lives. I noticed that staying power keeps the dream alive. I'm going to say that again because it's important. Staying power will keep the dream alive. Now, as a church, we started a series a couple of weeks ago called Living the Dream. The power and pitfalls of a God-sized life. And we began with the premise that God has a dream or a vision or a plan for your life, for my life. Jeremiah chapter 29, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, and not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. That's the promise of God for your life, for my life. And so when you understand that reality, then it becomes a process of figuring out what it means to live a God-sized life. And we're using throughout this series the life of Joseph. Remember, Old Testament Joseph, not the stepfather of Jesus in the New Testament Joseph, but Old Testament Joseph, who was kind of the, the spoiled snotty favored son of jacob in the old testament in in genesis chapter 37 we find the story of joseph beginning to unfold last week bill did a masterful job of taking us through the pitfalls of joseph's life that joseph who had been sold into slavery by his brothers and just when he thought it couldn't get any worse his master in egypt his master's wife accused him of attempted assault and he was thrown in prison So you want to talk about some pitfalls. There there are some serious pitfalls in the life of Joseph. But today, we pick up with the story of Joseph as a template for how to really and truly step into that God-sized life that he created us for. Remember, when we started the series, I told you that kind of the pitfalls of a God-sized life, that the challenges and the obstacles and the problems that we face in this world. It's kind of like a a golf backswing. Remember we talked about the fact that the pitfalls are kind of where you're on the backswing and you're, you're cranking up. You're generating some torque for when you begin the swing to begin going the direction God wants you to go. Well today we're going to see where Joseph begins to let it fly. We're going to see how Joseph begins to actually begin living out this dream that God had given to him so many years before. Now, I love what Bill did last weekend. I watched the sermon after we got home, and I remember as he was talking about pitfalls, all I could think about was <laughs> my daughter's in college. <laughs> pitfall, pitfall, pitfall. But we've all got pitfalls. Ours is really not that bad when you think about it. I mean, it was tough, it was hard, and Julie cried a lot, and we prayed for her and moved on, but... You can have a lot of different pitfalls in this world. And I love that Bill actually left you hanging with the pitfalls of Joseph. You'll remember that in the story so far, Joseph is still in prison. And he finds himself imprisoned with a couple of key players out of the household of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most powerful man on the planet at this point in human history. And Joseph finds himself in prison with Pharaoh's baker. And Pharaoh's cup cup bearer, kind of the sommelier, the wine taster, if you will, for Pharaoh. And they both had a dream in in prison and they asked Joseph to interpret it. And Joseph told the baker, your dream's not a good one. I mean, it's going to be bad for the baker. I think Pharaoh is kind of, you know, gluten intolerant and he's going to kill you. (laughs) Baker, you know, he doesn't like the wheat, so you're out. And uh, but now the cup bearer. This is your lucky day. You're you're about to be restored to your former position. Say, Pharaoh is going to come down here to the prison and have you restored, and you will again be sommelier, wine taster to the Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet. But Joseph did something really, really interesting. As he was interpreting their dreams, he said to the cupbearer, he said, remember me to Pharaoh. Remember me before Pharaoh. When you get in front of him again, don't forget your boy Joseph. Remind him that there's somebody down here and that that I can help him. If he ever has a problem, tell Pharaoh I'm his boy. And I love that the Bible goes to the trouble to give us this detail from Genesis chapter 40. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 40 that the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And this is where we begin to see some mission critical components of staying power in the life of Joseph. You see in the life of Joseph, first of all, the component of patience. Joseph was incredibly patient. He had not lost sight of the dream that God had given him way back when he was a little 13 year old kid when he began to dream that he would be in a position of authority over his brothers, not yet realizing that it would also be for his family. He'd held on to that dream and he was being patient while the dream seemed like it had died. It looked as though the dream was nowhere to be found, like God had forgotten him in the prison. But Joseph did not take that tack. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the cupbearer did make his way back into Pharaoh's palace. And while Joseph was still in prison, Pharaoh had a couple of nightmares. Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet, had nightmares. In the first nightmare, Pharaoh dreamed that he was looking out over his empire and he saw seven fat, slick cows. Grazing beside the Nile River. And then all of a sudden, out of the Nile River came seven scrawny, withered, dying, ribs showing through their hide, cows. And they ate the healthy cows. Well, Pharaoh popped up out of his Pharaoh bed like, what? And said, that's terrible. And then went back to sleep. And then he had another nightmare. And in this nightmare, there were seven healthy heads of grain just kind of blowing in the breeze there in Egypt. And Pharaoh, you can imagine, is looking out at it, thinking of the prosperity of his empire and his kingdom. When all of a sudden, seven withered, scorched, shriveled heads of grain come along and eat the seven healthy heads of grain. Pharaoh pops out of his Pharaoh bed again. (laughs) And he summons all of his sorcerers, all of his magicians. And he said, these are my dreams. Give me an interpretation. What do they mean? And all of the king's sorcerers and all of the king's magicians could not put the dream together again. <laughs> and the cupbearer is down in the kitchen and he hears about this. And he's like, a dream. I know a guy. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, you're not going to believe this. There's this dude I know in prison. He told me I'd be back here working for you. He interprets dreams. He's your boy. Pharaoh says, go get him. And the Bible says something very interesting. That when Joseph was summoned to Pharaoh, before he went before Pharaoh, he showered and shaved. He showered and shaved. Now, the Hebrew tradition was for men to not shave. To have kind of, you know, that big lumberjack, burly beard. But the Egyptians shaved. The Egyptians were clean shaven. And so Joseph said to himself, hey, if I'm going to talk to Pharaoh, you know, when in Rome, when in Cairo, do as Pharaoh do. And so he was brought before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says this in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 41 in Genesis. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Excuse me. Are you kidding? I want you to think about this for a second. Here is Joseph's ticket out. He's coming out of prison. See y'all wouldn't want to be y'all. I'm gone. And Pharaoh says, hey, I hear you. are the dream interpreter guy. And the first words out of Joseph's mouth, I can't do it. Hmm? I can't do it. I wonder if you were called into your boss's office tomorrow and and she said to you, or maybe he said to you, I want you to come up with a two-year plan for our company. The survival of our company depends on your plan. If you would look back and go, I can't do that. But God can. God can give you the answer you're looking for. Because that's exactly what our boy Joseph did. You want to talk about patience? I'll be honest with you. I I tried to put myself in Joseph's sandals in this situation. I, I tried to think about what would I do if I were brought before Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet. The power of life and death over me. And I was given this opportunity to interpret a dream. And I've got a track record of interpreting dreams. I'm probably going to be able to pull this off. And he says, Mac, man, I understand you can interpret dreams. I've got to tell you, I'm thinking I would have said, Pharaoh, you heard right. I don't like to brag, but the fact is, I'm pretty good. What you got? You see the patience of Joseph? The patience of Joseph to allow God to have the forefront. Now, let's be very, very clear about something here. Patience is not the same thing as laziness. Joseph was not back in prison like this. Okay, God, do something cool. Go. Joseph was working. He he was actively patient. He was using the gifts and the talents that God had given him. But what if Joseph had gotten impatient? What if Joseph had attempted to escape from prison? Do you think about that? They'd have killed him. I mean, dead. See ya. I mean, it's over. But Joseph was patient. That's not that funny. But I'm saying Joseph was patient on God. He continued working. He continued using his gifts. When I was in college, I was beginning to feel like God was calling me into ministry. And a mentor of mine had said, listen, if you get a chance to do anything at the church, do it. And so one summer I, I applied for a job and it just so happened that all of the jobs in the family life center, you know, where the gymnasium and the basketball and the air conditioning are, all those jobs had been taken. All the jobs with youth ministry had been taken. And the only job available at the church in my home church in Houston was to work with the grounds crew mowing the yard in Houston in summertime. That's called double hell. And so that was what I did that summer. And I'm telling you talk about hot. I had a very, very good friend who was working for his girlfriend's dad that summer. And his job, his job was to drive his girlfriend's dad's Porsche around Houston delivering documents. I'll never forget. One day I was outside edging the curb of the grounds of our church. And he pulled up in that Porsche and he rolled down the window, you know, just enough to be hurt, not enough to let him the air conditioning escape. And He goes, hey, how you doing? And I remember thinking, I hate him. (laughs) But I learned something really important that summer. If you will do your best at whatever your hand is on at the moment, God will use it. God will use it. Now, I'm not going to tell you that every day I popped out of bed and went, let's go mow. But there were a few days that summer that I said, you know what? It is what it is. It's going to be hot. I'm going to bust it. I'm going to, I'm going to put my hand, I'm going to go. And those were the days that passed in a blur. The other days when I was thinking, he's driving her dad's Porsche. Can you let some of that air conditioning? Those were the days that just dragged on and on and on. Patience with God is actively working. Mark Batterson this a friend of mine, an author and a pastor. He says that we should pray as though it depends upon God and work like it depends upon us. That's tweetable. You ought to, you ought to send that out right now. Just be sure to give Mark credit. Mark Batterson, pray like it depends on God and work. Like it depends on us. You want to be patient? Get good at something. Develop some skills. Mad skills with a Z. That's funny. Some of y'all catch that at lunch. But I'm telling you, Joseph was patient. And as he worked, he began to set himself up to develop the next component of staying power. The next component is production When you work, when I work with God on God's agenda and God's dream, we will be productive. There'll be production in our lives. Look at what Joseph said. This is a bold move by Joseph. Pharaoh says, I had this dream. I got the fat cows, the skinny cows, good grain, bad grain. Look at what Joseph says. He says, Pharaoh, we're going to have seven years. They're going to be just awesome. I mean, it's going to be awesome high cotton in Egypt. But then there are going to be seven really hard years of famine. Look at what he says. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Notice how specific he was. He had a plan. He didn't just go... I think Pharaoh should be a nice guy and keep all the commandments. First of all, the commandments haven't been given yet, but that's a whole other issue. Take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Production. He had a plan. He was ready to go to work when the opportunity presented itself. And you think, where in the world would a prisoner learn how to do that? Go back to what Bill taught last week. If you'll remember when Joseph was in the house of Potiphar, the Bible says that he excelled at everything he did. That Potiphar trusted every part of his household to Joseph. Because he was good at what he did. You know, a lot of times we Christians, we think we're just supposed to be nice. Be nice. Don't cuss. Don't kick the dog. Don't lie on your taxes. Just be nice. So when you go to work tomorrow, I'm nice. I'm going to be nice. And listen, nice is good but you need to write this down and I'm not not being sarcastic. I'm not not joking. Nice don't feed the bulldog. Nice is not enough. You got to be good at something. Give them a reason to give you a paycheck. Nobody owes you a job. They don't owe you a paycheck. Be good at it. Give them everything that you've got. An honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Be productive. Make them want to keep you around. Be productive. Joseph was productive wherever he was. Good stuff happened. He's a slave in Potiphar's household. Good stuff's happening. He's in the prison and the trustees of the prison entrust Joseph with leadership responsibility. All along the way, he's developing these skills. So when he's brought before the most powerful man in the world, he's ready to go. He says, here's what you need to do. You need somebody to oversee this program. You need a secretary of agriculture. And the secretary of agriculture needs to collect everything that's coming over the next seven years while things are good. Just take a fifth of it, put it in storehouses, so because people people are going to try to steal it. And then... Dole it out during the seven years of famine because the seven years of famine are going to be bad. And I want you to notice what the Bible goes to the trouble of telling us about Joseph's performance. Look at what he says. Genesis 41, 49, the Bible says, Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Anybody want to hire somebody like that? I mean, that, that's a worker. That, that's somebody who is productive. And it was because of this trait, it was because of what he showed that Joseph stepped into the next component of staying power. And it was progress. Progress. He showed production. He proved himself. And then he noticed progress. Look at what Pharaoh said, verses 37 through 40. The plan that Joseph presented, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this guy? One in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all of this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Progress. Moving forward measurable progress here's the deal spiritual realities always result in practical results don't don't ever don't ever think that spiritual realities are just kind of nice platitudes that we talk about and we study on sunday and then monday's a totally different deal no spiritual realities always result in practical results God is about moving things forward. As a matter of fact, you and I have a unique opportunity as a church family. On September the 8th, over 330 churches throughout Austin are going to embark on a unique, never before heard of or tried effort. As a matter of fact, I want you to take out the program that you got when you came in this morning program looks like this. And inside the program, you're going to find a card like this that says, explore God, explore God. Now you may look at that and go, well, that's a good idea. I should explore God and you should, but there's a lot more to it. Over 330 churches just in Austin. This is just an Austin deal are embarking on a series of sermons for the express purpose of starting as many Christ centered conversations as is humanly possible. And there is only one way that happens. If all of us are all in. If we are all a part of this effort. I want you to think about it. did you even know that there were three hundred and thirty churches in Austin? I mean that's that's mind blowing. And all of us together, you may have seen the billboards around town that say Explore God. There's a great website that is a huge resource called ExploreGod.com. Great, great website. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do as a church as we launch into this. Number one, invite somebody. I'm, I'm talking you. Invite somebody. As a matter of fact, we have printed some cards like this. We all have questions. ExploreGod.com. Matter of fact, look underneath your seat. If you're on the end of your row, or if you're the last one on the row, look underneath your seat, and there are a stack of cards. We, Lake Hills Church, has printed 10,000 of these puppies for you. I want to ask you right now to take five of these cards and do two things with them. Number one, start praying about who you're going to invite to be a part of this. Start praying about who God wants you to To reach out to. Now listen. I I know as you're passing these cars down the road. Some of you are thinking to yourself. "Mm -mm, mm, mm, Not doing it. No. (laughs) Shut up. That's what you're thinking. Of course you're not saying that in church. Somebody. Reached out to you. That's all all I'm telling you. Somebody, and I'll promise you this, I don't know who it was in your life, but I can promise you this, it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy. Anybody who has ever reached out to anybody for Christ has been uncomfortable, ever. But this is a great way to invite somebody. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Last year during the month of September, 2012 almost every single weekend in september we had about 2300 people attend worship services this year as a church i want to invite you i want to challenge you that we would take it to 3500 people 3500 and we've got plenty of room to do that. that that is not that big a deal particularly if we're all in Particularly if every single one of us will do this. Now, some of you are thinking, well, but, and, and I know you're not thinking this, but you're going to talk to somebody this week and they'll be like, well, it's not about the numbers. It's not about the numbers. Listen, it's about the numbers. Tell your neighbor, it's about the numbers. Now, some of you, that makes you really uncomfortable and I understand it, but let me tell you why. I'm about to help you get comfortable again. It's about the numbers because every Number has a name. I want you to think about that. Every number has a name. And you will never think of a single name that doesn't matter to God. There's not one person in your life that God doesn't love as much as He loves you. So I'm telling you, 2300 to 3500 is easy. If we'll do it, if we don't do it, it's not easy. That's really profound. You should write that down too. Now some of you are thinking, oh man, 2,300, 3,500 minus 2,300, that's 1,200. That's, that's, that's almost double or almost half. <laughs> well, it's, it's more than half. So what? So what? So you think, I can't believe you just put it out there, man, 3,500. Some of you, I know, I know. You're going, what if we don't get to 3,500? And it's going to be a doggy downer. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because 3,500 is a prayer. 3,500 is a God given dream and vision. And that's what we're going after. 3,500 is something that I can't do on my own. You can't do it on your own. 3,500 will require the presence and activity and work of the Holy Spirit of God. That's why 3,500 is a great number. So, yeah, it's kind of a big deal. So, that's just number one. I'm going to ask you to invite people. Invite and invite and invite. When God does something for us, He never does it just for us. Ever. He always blesses us to bless other people. So, let's get out there and invite them. Second thing, I want to take you back to the Explore God card. We are going to launch Explore God groups. This sermon series is going to be ripe for conversation. There will be a lot of people like, well, I don't know about it. What about the Bible? What about, I, I grew up Catholic. How about the Apocrypha? The Apocrypha! Join an explore God group. We're going to talk about these things. Why does God let horrible things happen? Why, why, where's God when so-and-so got sick? An explore God group is a great place to do it. If you're already in a life group, Man, that's great. But these Explore God groups, I want to challenge you to be a part of this. This is going to be a great opportunity to get to know God better and to get to know God's people better. There are going to be a lot of new people. After our service, we're going to have people outside be wearing Explore God shirts. Go hand them this card. Say, man, I don't know you, but i want to check this out. You need to make that experiment. Okay? So we've got cards, we've got connection. Start conversations. Just start talking to people. Just, just ask them. Go. And, and it doesn't have to be, let me tell you this too. Remember one of our rules around here. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. And if you are weird, there are 335 other churches you can invite them to. I'm just kidding. Is it... <laughs> i give you a list. After I'm just kidding. But start conversations with people. Hey, have you seen those billboards, Explore God? You know, our church is actually doing that. I'd love for you to come be a part of it. What do you think about that? What does it mean to explore God to you? What do you think about God? Do you believe it? Do you see how it just kind of happened? You invite him say, hey, why don't you come to church? We'll go to Starbucks beforehand. Latte on me, bro. And then afterwards, Luby's. Whatever it takes. Get that little loaf of fish. It'll be great. But it's about progress. It's about moving forward. Three years ago as a church, we got very, very deliberate about articulating our values, stating our, the reason we're here to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. And so we're, we, we measure those things. We, we take a look at them again because every number has a name. And you will never, ever think of a name that doesn't matter to God. And what matters to God matters to us. That's the prayer anyway. Now there, there's one last component of staying power that, that Joseph begins to experience and to see happen, that I think we would be making a massive mistake if we missed. Check this out. It's the component of peace. Peace. In verse 51 of Genesis 41, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son, he named Ephraim. And he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. There was peace. There was provision from God through Joseph. That's why the New Testament says, and may the peace of God, which transcends understanding, which means you you can't explain the peace of God, but may that peace guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is a critical part of staying power. You know, when you quit is when you get tired. When you you quit is when you think God's forgotten you. When you quit is when you don't believe anymore that there's a way out. But the peace of God guards your heart and your mind. You know, people say all the time, God won't give you more than you can stand. No, we've said that before. And it sounds great, it makes a great bumper sticker. Problem is it's wrong. It's not true. God will give you more than you can stand all the time. But he will never give you more than he can stand. See, what the Bible actually says is he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. I get tempted to quit. I know the thought has probably at some point in 22 years crossed my wife's mind. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. I'm out of here. But she didn't give in to temptation. She didn't quit. Joseph didn't quit. And that staying power is what God uses to keep the dream alive. It's that staying power that kept Christ on the cross. You know, if you've been around church for a long time, I think it's it's kind of just human nature that you, you focus on the fact that Jesus died on the cross. He was laid in a borrowed grave and then he rose again on the third day. And we, we accept those things. We believe those things. We base our lives on those realities. But it's easy to, to kind of hydroplane over the fact that Jesus... Died on the cross. That, that means that it took hours for him to die. Hours during which at any moment he could have thought himself off the cross. He was still the son of God. King of kings and Lord of lords. The author of all authority. And he stayed The Bible says something in Hebrews that's very important. It says that he endured the cross for the joy set before him. He endured the cross because of what was on the other side. And what was on the other side was restoration, reclamation, reclaiming that which had been lost because on the cross there was this cosmic transaction that was affected. You see, on the cross, Jesus took on my sin, your sin, our junk, our pitfalls, all of the wounds that have been self-inflicted or others inflicted, all of it, He took on Himself there. And then when He rose again, He did so with the offer of His moral perfection, His righteousness, the Bible calls it, for anyone who would take it. For anyone who would respond to His grace initiative. That amazing grace that we sang of earlier. If you're here today and you've never personally and definitively responded to that, in just a minute, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Doesn't take an elaborate ceremony. All it requires is everything. That's it. It's pretty simple. Just everything that you got. Every part of who you are, committed to christ who gave you every part of who he is i want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment if you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with christ i don't mean that you grew up going to church but i mean that you have personally and definitively stepped into that relationship and said, I'm all in, then this moment may be just for you. Just to pray right where you're sitting, silently, a prayer of commitment to God. Just, just to pray silently, just saying, in your own words, silently just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. All of it. And Jesus, I claim your forgiveness. All of it. And in exchange for your life, I give you mine. Once and for all. made with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment because right now folks we're on holy ground and i want to ask you if that was your prayer in this place at this moment with heads bowed and eyes closed if you would just quietly, but unmistakably raise your hand and just hold it up over your head for just a moment. And as you hold your hands up, I want you to know that and this is the greatest moment of your life. It's the most important, most significant moment. And so as a church, we want to help you mark it We want to help you mark it so that you know that you know that you know this is real. And we want you to know that this is a safe place for you. We invite you. We would love to be a home for you, a family, imperfect to be sure, but a family. And so as a family, we celebrate this moment by putting our hands together and telling you, welcome home.